I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott. Welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Esther Gallagher, and a special guest today, Lisa Abramson. I will introduce her in a moment, and before I do, I'd like to remind our listeners to check out our website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, sponsor us, mm-hmm. anyone, sponsor us, we really love it, um, we depend on that, so thank you so much, um, but do sign up for our newsletter, and um, on to the show. So Lisa Abramson is an entrepreneur, she's an executive coach, and she is a an advocate for maternal mental health. And she founded her own business, Wise Mama, and also co-founded Mindfulness-Based Achievement, which is the new MBA, which teaches high potential women leaders how to create sustainable business. Her MBA curriculum has been taught to hundreds of women as well as at Google, Cisco, Stanford, Graduate School, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Salesforce, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lisa was recently honored as one of the 100 most influential leaders empowering women worldwide by EBW. She's also been on TED. We have shared her TED Talk link on our Facebook page, the Fourth Trimester Podcast Facebook page, so you can see it there or just look it up on YouTube. Um, I would encourage you to do so. And um, she has also been featured by Fast Company. Um, We'll send this link out as well. Five ways to lean in without burning out. Just She's just a wealth of information and and, um, good things to share. So, um, you know, last but not least, she has a daughter and she's married and she lives in Menlo Park here in California. So we're so honored to have you here today, Lisa. Welcome to our program. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And an, and an update to my bio is I have another little girl coming in July that we're very excited about. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> thank wow. you. Thank you. So it's a fun, it's a fun time um, to be, you know, pregnant again and reflecting on lessons learned and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. Mm-hmm. All Great. right. That's so exciting. In which case, Lisa, why don't you uh, launch right in um, I'm, I'm going to ask you two questions right out of the gate and you can just roll with them. Um, the first is, uh, would you like to tell us about, um, your first experience of pregnancy and postpartum and, you know, kind of what brought you to, um, the wonderful Ted talk you gave, yeah. um, but maybe also, uh, then, um, talking about, um, how this pregnancy and postpartum is being approached by you and your family, uh, in, in retrospect. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, all started glamorously peed on a stick and was thrilled (laughs) that we were pregnant. Um, and I had just actually, left my job running uh, marketing at a technology company. 
I had, um, you know, had some success there and, you know, everything looked great on paper, but I really knew that I wanted to do something more meaningful to me and do some work that really mattered to me. So I knew I wanted to start a company and um, being, you know, an overachieving type, I thought, oh, okay, I'll start a company and also um, let's try to start our family. <laughs> and I got pregnant right away, which was awesome and exciting. Um, and then I kind of had a nine month deadline for, okay, we'll start a business up and also, you know, get ready for, um, yeah, this, this newborn that's coming into my life. But my pregnancy was, you know, pretty good. Um, you know, non-eventful. Um, I was, you know, starting my business, but at the same time I had so much more flexibility than I'd ever had. So, you know, I was able to, you know, go to acupuncture and, um, you know, take afternoon naps and do things that I definitely couldn't have done in my corporate job, um, before I left. So I was grateful for that. Um, and, um, so, you know, we were very excited, um, you know, eager to start a family. We're thrilled to be having a little girl and, uh, you know, my birth again, like, you know, had a hospital birth, like went pretty, pretty well, nothing, you know, too crazy, kind of had 12 or 14 hours of labor and then got an epidural in the last hour or so pushed for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and Lucy was born. So that was wonderful. Um, and, you know, I immediately was in awe of, you know, her spirit and she was just, it was really glorious and, and fun. And I felt like my heart really exploded, like I'm sure mm -hmm. most moms do. And, um, but for me, you know, the kind of uh, fast forward for people who haven't <laughs> seen the talk, um, I ended up about a month postpartum, um, in the psychiatric ward of the hospital. I had gone from, you know, being a, an entrepreneur, you know, self-sufficient, happy person to being um, quite, you know, out of my mind. I was paranoid and uh, very, very confused. Um, confused doesn't even really capture how <laughs> the, the altered state I was in. But basically, um, I brought my daughter home from the hospital was there, you know, with my husband, he was there helping out for the first couple of weeks. He went back to work. And that was when, um, I really felt this, you know, overwhelming sense of like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, I'm in over my head and I'm not sleeping because I had a lot of, um, just anxiety about like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, she's going to wake up in another 10 minutes anyway. Like why even bother try to, <laughs> trying mm -hmm. to go to sleep? Um, ended up not sleeping for, you know, a few days and, you know, it was pretty much, um, you know, it's a combination of like the hormones kind of stress and then not being able to rest, even though, um, you know, my husband was filling in and trying to help at night. I just, I couldn't get myself to relax or rest. And, um, I got really paranoid and really, um, really afraid of just kind of everything that was going on felt, you know, overwhelmed, but to the extreme of all of that. And, um, yeah, ended up, 
the confusion was so terrifying. You know, I thought there was, you know, snipers up on my roof. I thought my house was bugged and, um, you know, I was getting, you know, messages from God from my iPhone. It was, it sounds funny now, but it was terrifying and it felt very real. It did not feel like, um, this was something made up. This felt real in every sense. Um, every bone in my body was like, this is real and this is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, I thought I was being quite rational and, you know, straight headed when I, I told my mom and my husband, you know, should I just go and kill myself? Will that make this all better? Yeah. And that was, you know, it's, it makes me emotional to even think about it now because I was just in that state where I was, you know, I can say like confused or paranoid, but the, how real it felt is hard to describe. And so much so that, you know, someone who's never had any, um, you know, psychiatric history or um, any kind of mental health problems, you know, I've been teaching people about meditation and mindfulness and tools, you know, how to not avoid burnout, like tools for well-being. And I prided myself on that mental fortitude. So when I found myself unwell, I just, I didn't know who I was. And I was really, really scared. That's terrifying. Did you feel comfortable telling other people around you some of the things that you were experiencing or was it something you... No, that's yourself. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that is the, the kind of tricky thing with postpartum psychosis. It's it's the most severe, but it, um, but it's also thankfully the rarest of all of the maternal mental health disorders. So it's, it affects about one in a thousand, um, new moms, whereas postpartum depression is about, you know, one in seven new moms experience it. So it's very rare. Um, so I, you know, had no background or information, like the whole concept, like you can give birth and then, oh, PS, like some women go crazy. I was like, wait, what? That's a thing. Like, I did not even know that was possible. It was nowhere um, on the map for, mm-hmm. for what could happen. And um, no, I wasn't, I was not telling my family like these <laughs> delusions I was having because they were terrifying. And I thought, oh, they're going to take my daughter away. You know, they're going to, mm-hmm. they're, I thought when my husband was taking me to the emergency room, which is a step to get, um, you know, put into the psychiatric ward, I thought we were going to jail because I thought I'm in trouble. I've done something wrong and I'm unfit to be a, a mom. Like I was just such in an altered state, but I wasn't telling anyone that. That was, um, I was too afraid to kind of face that reality. I'm curious, Lisa, if you think that um, looking back, if there might have been any sort of um, intervention of any sort uh, during pregnancy or early postpartum, um, that might have helped you. Like I'm, I'm curious yeah. because I, I too suffered from severe mood disorder with both my post, yeah. both my postpartums. And you know, I look back and I just think, on the one hand, like, well, if somebody had kept me fed and anybody had let me sleep, I might yeah. have gotten through them with a little more savoir faire. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it is, 
I was just constantly feeling paranoid and and um and uh angry. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of anger, you know, yeah. like just claws out all the time and um it's not a pleasant way to be a mom at all. Yeah. Um but and yet nobody's looking to you going, "Gee, <laughs> How can we make this a little healthier for you? Um, yeah. I'm, I was a mom many, many years before you were, and I think the resources were even fewer. Yeah. And nobody was talking about it. And I think for my mom's generation, too, of course, right? So we're hopefully, if nothing else, unlike for you and I, we will have more out in the world telling women, okay, there is a, such a thing as postpartum mood disorder. Here are some of the signs and symptoms. Here mm-hmm. are the resources. Uh, but I still think it's, we've got a ways to go. But what I'm, I'm curious about your own personal feelings and thoughts on that, because I know you've done a, a deep dive into figuring it out. Yeah. Well, and also, it sounds like Lisa's uh, experience was on the most severe end as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. As, as a difference. Yeah. You, well, yeah. you were hospitalized. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I feel like, you know, my family did the, the best they could with the information they had. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in some ways it might sound strange, but I feel thankful that what I experienced was so severe that it was so clear that I needed help that I got mm-hmm. because I got help right away. I mean, it was basically about three or four days at home with the paranoia and confusion. Um, and then I was hospitalized for 10 days. But then when I came out of the hospital, I really started my recovery. So it was very, very intense, like the most ex- intense experience of my life. But it also was short. And I think that that was part of why I recovered, I think, pretty quickly and, you know, within about seven or eight months, I was off of the medications that I was prescribed and I was, you know, back to work teaching at companies. Um, My daughter was born in January. I was back teaching at Google in May. You know, I was feeling okay. So it was very, very severe, but because it was so severe, no one was like waiting around to see, you know, like, oh, maybe she'll just like tough it out or or she'll get better. It was just like, no, this is an emergency. We need to act. So I do feel, um, in a weird way, fortunate for that. But in terms of, you know, what people can do to help, I think for all new moms, what we can do better is saying, you know, how are you sleeping and not like portray or propagate this myth that, oh, you're a new mom and then you just don't sleep. Like, because that's like, no, no, that's a no-go. Like we cannot just not sleep. And in same in like corporate culture, we we propagate this myth that like, oh, I like pulled an all-nighter and like did all this work. Good job. High five. Like, no, Mm -hmm. we don't function well when we don't sleep. Like it is the most, I think, vital thing for our well-being is sleep Mm -hmm. and rest. And we take it for granted as a society and it's really a problem. And then we tell moms like, oh yeah, you're just going to be like tired for years. And for me, I'm like, uh uh-uh, like that is not acceptable. I can't be exhausted for the rest of my life. That's not a life worth living. Like that Mm -hmm. is miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, And dangerous. And dangerous. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So, and then in terms of sleep, kind of fine tuning that asking moms like, 
if you're able to, you know, rest or if your husband's doing the night feeding, like, can you actually sleep? Like, what's the quality mm-hmm. of your sleep? Not just, um, you know, is it, are you, you know, in bed? It's like, are you getting some deep restorative sleep? So kind mm-hmm. of, you know, asking me, like, I, I get it. You're, you know, you're tired, but like, if there are, um, I think that's the first warning sign is basically if the, if you're finding time to sleep because your partner's helping or you have someone, you know, sitting with your child while they're napping or you're basically off duty and you're not able to actually rest, that would be the first sign I'd say, hey, go talk to someone because um, you don't have to be suffering like this. And it, the longer you wait, the more severe the symptoms will get because, you know, your mood's affected by whether or not you're sleeping. I, um, yeah, lying there with your mind running yep. isn't resting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think, yeah, just asking, like, can you let go of thoughts and drift into sleep or or not? You know, are you picking up your device and instead of uh, letting your mind shut off? You know, that I mean, I think there's lots of layers to this. I also think it's interesting, too, in the first many several weeks there are there are moms who in my experience just sleep great if somebody is watching the baby and they can really just go to their sleep space right and not and not be sort of on call in their minds and then there are other mothers who won't sleep unless the baby's right near them and so helping moms figure that out you know um, I think a lot of moms don't sleep because they come home from the hospital believing that it's unsafe to sleep with their baby. Yeah. But then they can't sleep because their baby's so far away, even if it's, you know, four feet <laughs> mm-hmm. in another, you know, in a baby cubicle that um, they can't rest. And so it's finding finding the way that a, a particular mom is going to be able to just, you know, be able to sleep if she's going to be able. I think that's an important project in the first week um, or two, you know, to help, to help moms. Absolutely. And I think you're so right that it's, it's so um, personal and you kind of have to just try and see what works for you. Because for me, um, you know, having Lucy's bassinet in the room with us. Um, she still is a very noisy sleeper even <laughs> to this day, but like, you know, she was making noise all night. Um, she's fine. She's deeply sleeping, but uh, that was alarming to me that, so I, I couldn't rest hearing the little, um, you know, grunts noises, and that, yeah. grunts and groans. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm like, does anyone tell you that kids are like, you're like this little thing makes like a lot of noise when she's yeah. sleeping peacefully. Um, and I think the other thing I'd say for, um, you know, prevention and, you know, if you're seeing signs, like telling the mom, like, look, this is like not your fault and you're not a bad mom. You're not doing anything wrong because you're having a tough time. Like there's a lot of factors at play, um, you know, the hormonal changes after birth, you know, the quality of sleep, how much support you're getting, um, and what, you know, I'd love to see, you know, bigger, you know, policy changes that really support and honor the fact that 
childbirth is intense and you need to rest and recover from that. And then you also have the new stressor and demand of caring for your newborn. I mean, there's just a lot going on and I don't think we're supporting moms and dads in that transition. So, you know, you're asking if, what am I doing, you know, differently this time? I, um, you know, I, I feel fortunate because, um, my husband was able, they, they had a policy at his company for two weeks of paternity leave, uh, and they switched that to 12 weeks, um, oh. paid leave for both, um, you know, moms and dads, and he's going to mm-hmm. be able to take that. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's really in and of itself is pretty much game changing. You know, mm-hmm. you can pay for other support if you have the financial resources to do so. But like, there's nothing like being in the trenches with your partner and mm-hmm. having their support. You know, there's a reason that that I married him and he's my partner for life because he's he's the one that I, you know, I want support from and want mm-hmm. to be there with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and when when partners can't be with their newborns, you know, their, their new babies, the reality of what an altered state it is to be in the parenthood moment to moment gets really strained and can be a source of severe strain between partners as well. And so, yeah, I just, I just think it's a form of social torture. Yeah. You know, yeah. to tell families, yeah, no, we need you more. You know, yeah. you, you got to be back at work. You're you're other, you're of no value to us otherwise. Um, and um, yeah, I I'm so thrilled to hear. I mean, you know, you've you'll you will have heard me say it many times on this show. It's the least they could do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet I am grateful for for it and happy whenever anybody gets to have it. So, yeah, absolutely. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, you know, other things that we're doing differently this time around, um, is, you know, we're going to hire, you know, a night, um, doula to be with, um, the, our youngest daughter when she's born, um, you know, every night of the week for, you know, at least a couple of months. So I, and I realize that's, a, you know, a big, expense and it's a privilege, but it's also, it's necessary for, um, my being. And I also think, um, you know, it's, we used to have kind of, you know, moms or aunts or, um, people kind of coming to be with the mom and helping with those things. So if you don't have, you know, family that's able and willing to help in that capacity, um, you know, it's, it is a big expense, but it's a temporary one and it's short term. And if you can save yourself, um, you know, from kind of going into crisis mode, I think it's really, you know, it's an important lesson for moms to learn to help and receive support in whatever fashion, because it's hard for us to do, you know, I think especially as we're having, um, you know, at least in San Francisco, I know for sure, you know, children a little bit older than we used to, we're like, I, I have an identity about being self-sufficient. I'm like a career woman. I get stuff done. <laughs> I'm like competent. And it's you all of a sudden, just like everything switches overnight when you're like, and now I'm a mom. Oh my gosh. Like the, I need to, I need to learn to accept help. Like that's a really big lesson 
um, I thought I was good at receiving help. And then I was like, whoa, I need help in like all sorts of new ways that, that I didn't even know about before. Well, and, and another way of thinking about those things um, that I try to help, especially moms, but new parents in general, see is that, you know, the model of self-sufficiency is practically unique <laughs> to Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, let's be blunt, dysfunctional. But no, nobody else in the world would expect what we expect of I know. new, and I'll be very particular, mothers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, let alone any parents, um, in terms of going through the physiological processes of pregnancy, birth, and early postpartum on their own with virtually yeah. no knowledgeable, wise support. Yeah. You know, and bless your husband's heart. I doubt that he had an inkling of what he needed to be prepared for. Yeah. Uh, to be uh, a fully supportive partner. And that's not that that's not, you know, intention. His intentions were vast and wonderful. And yet um, I'm sure he felt he was at sea a lot of the time, too. And that's not his fault, you know. Yeah, uh, it's not. It's it's um, it's just the way we do it here, and it's not healthy. Yeah, so. no, I completely agree. And just you know, I think you know you even say it in the the show description that like waiting till like the six week checkup with your OB is the first <laughs> time that someone's like. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> You've just had this like massive life transition. Like mm-hmm. that's not serving anyone. So whether, you know, one of the recommendations I make in my TEDx talk is about um, you know, I think every pregnant woman should meet with a therapist at least once just to establish a relationship with someone in case they need that extra support. Um, I frankly feel like even if you don't have, you know, a maternal mental health disorder, you're still going through a major life transition and it's helpful to have someone to talk it through. So that could be, you know, through a therapist, it could three, you know, through a postpartum doula, but, you know, you need to have those support systems in place. Um, and it's better to like plan for more than you think. And then if you're like, okay, I'm doing great, wonderful, but plan for more. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you're not the first person on our show to actually recommend that. So, I mean, it's it's just such a, a good idea to take care of oneself. And as you said, even if there isn't family history of depression or any personal history. That you know of. That you know of, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, why why not have someone on the ready to be there as a supporter? And frankly, like, who could not do with a little bit of extra strengthening and support in their lives, right? Life is a lifelong learning journey. We can all get smarter and stronger and happier and more self-centered and humble and (laughs) whatever it is along the way on on our own paths. But it just seems like a positive thing. So why not? Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, there's, there's just a lot of myths, you know, around, 
you know, oh, like, you know, it's postpartum depression, like, oh, then I'll have to take medication or then I can't breastfeed or this and that. And there's just so many false um, assumptions. And, you know, a lot of moms that I know, you know, in, in the postpartum support communities that I've joined since having my daughter, you know, therapy alone is, is, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is really effective. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you don't always need, you know, a drug intervention if that's something that's keeping you from getting help. Um, so, um, or it could be that you just, you know, you need time for self-care and, um, you know, you need time to get rest or you need a mother's helper just for a few hours a day. Like those things can be a part of, you know, a comprehensive plan. Yeah. And isn't it ironic, um, too, just because this is something that's always on my agenda and Facebook feed, <laughs> that um, we don't pay moms, but all of these all of these support services in America are going to cost her money. I know, right? You know, a, a doula needs to get paid and pay her rent, and uh, you know, the yoga class teacher <laughs> needs to get paid and pay her rent, and so. Um, it, it is, it's uh, a complicating factor that all of these things don't come free. And yet, in the meantime, moms are expected to be doing all of this for no, with no income from any source. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I recently read the book, um, Work, Pause, Thrive by uh, how to kind of pause your career without killing it, something like that, um, by Lisa and Stromberg. And it was fantastic. And she talks about how we, uh, you know, made a decision in the U.S. to calculate our GDP and basically give no um, monetary value to mm-hmm. caregiving, which is, mm-hmm. you know, an essential skill. And um, she does a, a really deep dive into that and how that's, it's a big problem. And you've nailed it on the head that, <laughs> that you've got a, more expenses than ever. And um, the society isn't, you're not getting paid for that time. And Society is also not really valuing the contribution that is raising the next generation. <laughs> what could be more important than that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And in the meantime, we're deporting the women who do it for us. I know. <laughs> I mean, what a complex, ridiculous situation we find ourselves in. Right. It's yeah. medieval. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. not a women's issue. No, this affects it's, it's everybody. Everybody. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Moms who suffer have children who suffer. And that includes little boys, too, mm-hmm. who are going to grow up and have who I mean, who knows what kinds of unspoken or unknown consequences mm-hmm. if mom doesn't get help she needs. Yeah, no, I think that that's true. And, um, you know, I am encouraged by seeing, you know, companies like the one my husband works at kind of honoring and respecting family, family leave. And that that's actually I think it's really critical because, um, you know, if women are being penalized in their career, even though it's illegal, they still it still can happen for taking Mm -hmm. leave or, you know, maybe not being promoted in their childbearing years, if we kind of equal the playing field and say, you know what, men that also are in that age range are going to be taking, you know, three months off also, Mm -hmm. then it's just, it normalizes it and it doesn't Mm -hmm. make those gaps um, as different. So I think, you know, there's baby steps being made um, 
but there's obviously so much more that we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to support moms. And, you know, I created a guide for maternity leave to just kind of give tips and pointers of like how, what you can do. Granted, you don't really know what whirlwind is coming towards mm-hmm. you, but I certainly spent, um, you know, I joke that I'm a recovering like overachiever, you know, type A perfectionist. So I, you know, I spent like probably eh, like 60 hours planning for childbirth. Um, my childbirth wasn't, wasn't even that long. I mean, I did a mindfulness-based childbirth and parenting class and a bunch of, you know, nice. infant first aid and all these different, you know, courses and support system. And I'm like, that was just like, this teeny little fraction of life as a mom. And then it was like, wham, okay, the rest of your life, you're going to be a mom. You gave birth like in an instant. And um, I think we need to flip that on its head. And I know you guys are doing that here with the fourth trimester. It's like, okay, well, let's talk about being a mom because that's, that's the important part. It's not necessarily, you know, hopefully your childbirth isn't traumatic, but also, you know, at the end of the day, like, You'll have a baby, you hope, and then you hope the baby's healthy. But we spend so much time focusing on that little bit, and we could better support moms by focusing on all the rest of the stuff that's coming up. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we hope that people uh, recommend our podcast to pregnant people. Yeah. <laughs> at the very least, and people who are thinking maybe they want to have kids, that would be even better. Um, uh, so yeah, well, I'm, um, I think you're making some very wise choices in anticipation of your second arrival. And, um, I want to really, uh, uh, appreciate that for you (laughs) on your behalf. Well, thank you. And, um, it's so, kind of you to make time for us on our podcast. And I guess I would comment that um, I, that I forgive me for not being as articulate as I would like to be, but the comment I want to make uh, to our listeners is that so many of these things that we approach on this podcast might seem frightening. And the tendency when we're approaching something frightening is to shut it off. <laughs> I yeah. do the same thing. You know, I, I don't watch scary movies, um, for instance, right? So I, I mean, I do now because I finally got over it. But, but what I realize is that so much about the postpartum period can just seem overwhelming and scary from the standpoint of you haven't been there yet. So it's always seems like the right thing to do to kind of say, oh, ah, that's just so unlikely to happen to me and everything's going to be fine and I'm not going to stress out about that. Yeah. And um, on the other hand, I would like to encourage people, don't be afraid Learn what you can in advance and make good preparations for it. Don't go to denial that somehow you're not going to have this experience of being in the postpartum recovery period, but that you are and you can be Mm -hmm. well-resourced, which is the message we try to 
reinforce again and again. Yeah. And, and I think either way, you know, it's just, it's, it's not your fault if you're having a hard time or if, um, you know, and you didn't do something wrong. And I think we're all quick to, um, you know, judge ourselves or say like, oh, I'm a bad mom because so-and-so, you know, we're looking at someone else's like polished <laughs> Instagram feed yes. and you're like, oh my, you were in your skinny jeans like two weeks after the birth. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm gained weight after I <laughs> delivered my daughter. Like, um, so, um, you know, and I joke even, I, I have, you know, beautiful photos with my daughter, Lucy, that I, that I cherish. And I'm like, and those photos were, you know, eight days or something after I was out of the psychiatric ward. No one could tell, like they look beautiful. (laughs) Uh, You know, so there's a lot that's, you know, and that was part of, you know, me kind of coming forward and sharing my story. It's like, I, I felt like I owed um, other moms, you know, and to just do anything I could to say, Hey, look, um, you know, even if you've never had any, you know, previous experience with, um, you know, any, um, you know, mood disorders, like stuff can happen and it happened to me and there's nothing to be ashamed about. Um, and it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong or, you know, you're a bad mom. Like you just need to get help. Cause like you said, if, um, you know, it affects your, your child. If you, the longer that mom is suffering without getting support Mm -hmm. and with, you know, maternal mental health disorders, they're, they're all, you know, they're treatable and they're temporary. So you just need to know, like it, you will get better. I know it doesn't feel like that when you're in the thick of things, but, um, you know, the sooner you get treatment and especially treatment by someone who specializes in maternal mental health, because they know, um, what to expect, uh, the nuances of it and the fact that it is different from other mental health disorders, because it is something that is quite, um, temporary and it's related to the birth. Um, so just getting the right support in place and not being ashamed to, you know, be the first one into mom's group to say like, Hey, I'm having a tough time, Mm -hmm. you know, just be the, be the brave one, speak up and say, you know, what's your truth. And I'm, I'm sure there's just like all the other moms in your group or, you know, in your yoga class are like me too. Like, I didn't know if that was, you know, we were going to do that here, but I think we need to, (laughs) because that's the truth. Um, even if things look, you know, perfect or you're seeing some, you know, edited images, there's, it's complex journey becoming a mom. It is. And it's, as I've said before on this podcast, um, and we'll say again as we're wrapping up, like, no matter what your journey of parenting looks like, it's a sacred journey. Every element of it has something deep and meaningful uh, and, and of course, deeply personal um, for you. It's your story. Um, and you get to make meaning of that any way you can and want to ultimately that's, that's your whole life, right? This is, this is a moment in your whole life and there is, you know, not just survival, but thriving in relationship to this very thing, right? That you thought was going to undo you completely, uh, 
Yeah, I think we're on a mission to create more more postpartum joy for women. Yeah. And make the experience as wonderful as it can possibly be and getting support um, and being prepared for any array of outcomes is part of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's like prepare, you know, get support. And then also it's like, kind of throw away the expectations because it is going to be what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not necessarily, you know, good or bad. And you, and you get to make the meaning of that, you know, experience. I I think I ended up much stronger. um, And, and I'm also, you know, proud to say, like, I think I'm a role model for my daughter about, you know, if we're in over our heads, we go get help and we're not, that's a sign of strength. That's not a weakness. And, you know, that's something I'm modeling to her. It's like, yeah. we're not invincible. We don't live in silos. We can't do it all ourselves. And like, you're not supposed to either. Um, you know, <laughs> We're communal people and we need to honor that and kind of have our support system in place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's going to be very interesting in the next few decades to see how Americans communalize them, themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> or not, right? Um, I think we're at a very interesting juncture. And I think your story is a wonderful way of, of pointing to how we learn that, that that's where we need to head. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for all you're doing to support moms in this transition and in that, um, you know, exciting and, and joyful and also sometimes beautifully overwhelming (laughs) moment in history that, that fourth trimester. So thank you. Please make sure to check out Lisa Abramson's site, which is wisemama.co. And we'll share her information on our site, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com and on our Facebook page group, which you should check out and join if you haven't already. Mm -hmm. And just want to say thanks again to you, Lisa, and uh, we'll see you soon, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again. Bicycle man, I know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. You got your wheels, you got your gears. You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake